So if I go a whole day and no one praises me, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, anything that I want someone to say to me, deep down, that's because I want to believe it. So I can just say it to myself. That's, I, I love that. <laughs> it's so easy to be mean to yourself and to have horrible self-talk. But the moment you like start to be nice to yourself, it feels weird. And I think... You are now listening to The Board Podcast. Keep headphones in at all times. Um, so how how's your day been, first of all? Um, very uneventful, to be honest. Yeah? Just Why is that, man? I've just been preparing for a placement starting tomorrow. A school placement, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm in a nursery for a week just to get a different sort of experience. Do you think you're do you think you're gonna enjoy it? Um I'm not sure. I've always sort of not been a fan of that age group. I think they're a bit too baby and I'm not entirely sure what I'm gonna be doing, so I'm a bit anxious uh, about it as well. Yeah. To be honest, I think you're just gonna be playing a lot of games. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Um, so let's go straight into it because I don't. I know you haven't got much time. Um, do you want to introduce yourself, and then we'll go straight into your identity issues? So I think, like I said, people people will relate to that. I think. Yeah. Um, mm. So my name's Jonathan. I have an Instagram page called Mask Underscore Off Underscore Depression, where I basically talk about my life with depression. I got diagnosed at the age of 16 and I'm 28 now and I'm sort of just recently starting to really take it seriously and work on improving my quality of life and understanding myself better. Mm. Yeah, I I actually found you from that page and I think I said to you the most, the, the interesting thing was that how you spoke about it in your captions. I read your captions and they're so detailed and you seem like you really go into depth about yourself and understanding yourself. Uh, it surprises me that you say you only started recently, to be honest. Yeah, it's the page I only made mid-January. Like I said, it's only yeah. something that I've taken seriously, but I'm sort of like really got into it. I've started therapy. I watch different, I interact with loads of different therapy pages. Um mm-hmm. I think it's something that gets quite addictive once you start. In terms of uh, Instagram or just your page? Like, just um, your page? Understanding yourself and sort of going on oh, a okay. mental health journey. Okay. Do you, do you mean addictive in a good way? Yeah, in a good way. One of the very <laughs> few things that's addictive in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually usually when you say addiction is is negative, but you're right, there are there are better addictions i think definitely um so you you said you were diagnosed at 16 with depression and you're 28 now yeah why why were you diagnosed what what sort of um led up to that diagnosal um so what led up to that diagnosis was um it was around diagnosis isn't it um (laughs) Yeah, it was around GCSE time, so it was a lot of stress about the exams, anxiety, 
um, worried about living up to other people's expectations of myself. Sort of just feeling really overwhelmed and burdened. What what expect what expectations do you think they had of you, other people? Um, so at my school, I was very much a golden child. It was a school mm. that had a terrible reputation. It wasn't a school you applied to go to. It was one you ended up being stuck at. And then when I got to year nine, they decided they were going to rebrand, change the name, become an academy. And I was part of what to them was the start of their future and changing it around. And I was sort of like the pinnacle of it. Yeah. Um, so in classes, a lot of the time it was, let's see who can beat Jonathan. Let's see who can get a higher mark than Jonathan. Um, the same for sports a lot of the time. But then there was also sort of like the ugly side of it because it, you then get the, oh, Jonathan didn't do that well in this exam. Or, oh, you're not as high as you normally are, Jonathan. And like, it really became this sort of like, they made me feel like unless I was the top of every single class and every single sports thing that I myself had failed and let everyone down. Mm. So the, the spotlight was completely on you and you had pressure to do so well from all around you, really. Yeah. Um, and I got, there was just like, there was just such a high expectation. And I think where the school was going through the changes and I'd performed quite well up to then, I think they just sort of assumed that I was okay. They just thought that it was perfectly normal. And I think they kind of forgot that at the time I was a 15, 16 year old kid. And that's a lot of pressure to put on an adult, never mind someone who's like going through puberty and trying to work out what they want to do with their life and all of that stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you still feel angry? Do you feel any anger towards like your school for doing that? Um, I felt angry at that school for a very long time, but I think I'm starting to let it go because for my GCSEs, I wasn't really able to pick my options. I wanted to do engineering BTEC. They told me I'm too academically gifted to do a BTEC and made me do history and Spanish instead. A similar thing happened with A-level. Instead of doing uh, BTEC engineering, they made me do triple science and maths. And I think yeah. for many, many years, I blamed a lot of my depression and my issues on the school for not letting me make the decisions I wanted to and feeling like they weren't really there for me and that they'd abandoned me. Yeah. So, so those, those years while you were in school, you were like the, you were the poster boy and they, I don't want to say using you, but they were, they, they were relying on you to sort of produce results for them. Yeah. I, I think very, very much so. It was a, look at what one of our like I said a lot of it was where it was a bad school before it was like look we have changed look at what this boy has been able mm. to do at our school and how we've helped him reach his potential of doing this yeah yeah and like I don't it's difficult because like you're saying it's put so much pressure on you 
but I do understand why schools have to do that sort of thing. Um, but again, like you're saying, it, it, they, you know, for them not to actually consider the pressure it put on you was just wrong. Yeah, but I think that was a lot about the whole world in terms of mental health 10, 12 years ago. It was sort of very much an afterthought. You didn't really get any sort of pastoral care at schools. It was just, you're here to learn. We care about your education. And yeah. that is it. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's changed since then? Um, I think it's changed. Where I'm studying to be a teacher, I was in um, year one for my first placement. And it was really nice to see their PHSE lessons. It was a lot about understanding emotions, understanding feelings, thinking about mm. how your actions affect people. And I'm like, I think it would really have benefited me and like a lot of my generation if we'd sort of learned more on of that stuff when we were younger yeah 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 i completely agree what sort of things were you seeing in those lessons um so a lot of it was about um celebrating differences was the module topic when i was there so it was sort of accepting everyone for being different whether that be their race their religion their interests their dislikes their ability is just sort of really appreciating that we're all different and it's okay to be different. It's okay if you're not the smartest and just really sort of trying to nurture and create an accepting environment. And that, and that was in year one? Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. I've, I'd, never, I'd never seen that before. Honestly, it's this program called um, Jigsaw PHSE and it blew my mind to see it as well. I was like, you're going to create such never mind intelligent academically but like really really emotionally intelligent people through this program because they're going to really understand themselves 100 percent, and you know that could lead to them being academically better as well if you if you understand your why you're anxious and if you understand yourself you know the only good can come of it definitely because i think like i said for my generation where we didn't have that i think a lot of the people that were deemed as academically gifted all suffered similar burnouts to mine yeah but they got put on this pedestal where they were this amazing child and then when the results didn't start to go their way they either started getting really bad exam anxiety or really depression and i think it became too much of their identity that once they lost that they sort of lost themselves yeah I've heard uh, I've heard similar things um, from loads of people I know, uh, like exactly like you're saying, um, it becomes your identity because you're known as that person in school for so long. You know, you're known as that person by the teachers, you're known as that person by your classmates. And then when you can't get that thing that you're known for right, it just destroys you. Completely. And I think there's sort of like layers to it as well so like one of the things that was said to me i think this was in my a level time maybe they were like or maybe gcse's they were like you're one of the smartest people in the year group in the school but when you go out into the world you not only have to compete with people in the school but the people in the borough and then the people nationally and i was like whoa 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 
you've just told me that I'm basically God's gift to the world and I'm really, really clever. And now all yeah. of a sudden you're telling me that there's loads of people out there that are as clever as me, if not clever, and I'm not that special. Yeah. And yeah, like that, yeah, yeah. it was just like, really knocked me off the pedestal that they'd put me on. And I was really confused. I was like, so I'm not special. I'm not gifted. Yeah. And then that started like a real slippery slope. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what could have improved that. And maybe if they had sort of, maybe I guess if they had not built you up so much and, and, you know, or, you know, let you down easy. I don't know. I don't even know. Not just not say any of those things. Man. <laughs> Honestly. Um, I don't, I don't see part, the need. Yeah. It's just one of them things where you're like, they're just, I don't see how, I think it was done in good intentions and they thought it would motivate me to try harder. Maybe they thought I was slacking and I'd got lazy rather than mental health struggles. Yeah. Don't think yeah. I ever truly know. No, but I, I see it a lot. It's like a it's like a shock and awe tactic. So they'll just say things to you and like like you're saying, they they said they said similar things to people in my school. They were like, you know, I remember lessons when they say, um, remember once you leave school, you're on your own, this that you know, to hear that as a kid is is scary. I don't you know, I'll find that out. Don't worry, you don't need to <laughs> Exactly. And also, like, they tell you that, but then they don't, like, prepare you or give you any skills for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just sort of, they just sort of warn you and then they're like, you're going to have to do it yourself, mate. <laughs> you're going to have yeah. to. <laughs> yeah. They're like, that's it, you're out the door. Good luck with that. Yeah. How was that in college? Like, what, what did you notice in college? What differences did you notice sort of when you when you left school? Um, so yeah, when I left school, I decided I had enough of the academic route, went to college to become a mechanic. Um, that was a different world completely. Because I'd gone from going down a route where I needed really good GCSEs, really good A-levels, to all of a sudden being on a course with people that had um, only just about got two or three GCSEs at E-grades. And yeah. it, a, a lot of that was a culture shock. But again, where I had the background that I did, I had high expectations as well. Um, like there was this one time um, in my second year, the college worked as somewhat of an illegal garage where they'd work on staff members' cars on the Fridays. <laughs> That's mad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and me and this other guy were both from sort of an A-level background so quite academically smart and the lecturer gave us the challenge of doing a head gasket on a staff member's car yeah that's a tricky one yeah <laughs> everyone knows when when the head gasket's gone it's normally the end of the car but like I said the college was being weird and dodgy about it so they were getting it done for ridiculous prices if not free yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, so he gave it to me in the sky to do it on, and he was quite an angry man. Not a lot of patience. Um, so we the guy you were working with? Um, no, the lecturer. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, we were working on it, doing our best. 
But I think what they forgot is just because you're academically gifted doesn't mean you're necessarily practically gifted. Yeah. Um, so we struggled with that, majorly struggled with it. And I just remember him getting really angry at us. And he was like, you've made this into a two or three day job when it should have been done in a day. And all of this stuff. And I was thinking, first of all, we're students. We don't know what we're doing. We've never done this before. And secondly, how is you getting angry at us going to help anything? Yeah. And then he went off on how he was really disappointed because he thought we were both really smart and we'd do it perfectly, really quickly. And I was like, okay. So now I have to live with the fact that you're disappointed in me because I didn't live up to your expectations of me. So you've got you've had the disappointment from your academic side from your teachers, and now you've got the disappointment from the practical side. Yeah. So where does that leave you? <laughs> Feeling like I can't do anything right at that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's got that's that's destroying. That's that's incredible. But yeah, and all of that I think is I'm like at that time I would have been 18, so not so much of a child, but I'm like. There's no need to say those kind of things to people. Yeah. Because like, you don't know the long term effects that that's gonna have on people. So like, these for example, they were said to me 12, 14 years ago, and I still remember them like it was yesterday. Yeah. So where they would have just said it in the heat of the moment and whatnot, like, you've had a long-term negative effect on someone's life all because you couldn't control your emotions yourself. Yeah, no, I, I think that's completely fucked up, man. You know, they, you, you were their student. First, first and foremost, you were the student. Secondly, like you're saying, it was an illegal activity. Yeah. Dude, there's I nothing think, right. There's nothing right about what they said. Nah, and I think that's like what I was saying about the stuff with your one and emotions. I think... What they're doing there is so beautiful because that's going to prevent stuff like this because everyone's going to be so much more emotionally intelligent and aware. They're not going to have these random outbursts and they're going to think before they speak and they're just going to be so much more better equipped and understanding. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. I, I really do hope that stuff like that can make an impact and, you know, what you're saying sounds good to me. Definitely, but it'll take a long time to see how it pans out. Yeah, hundred percent. But I guess it's better than I guess it's better than nothing, isn't it? Definitely. Um, could we go into could we go into your um, sort of identity issues? Yeah, that's another so, thing I've I found interesting, man. Identity issues started back in primary school, I think. A lot of my identity issues, I think quite a lot of people get, they're quite a lot of, I don't want to use the word generic, but sort of the more common ones. Mm. So yeah. um, me, myself, um, mixed race, my mum's Irish, my dad's Ghanaian, um, second generation immigrant, um, even more cliche, they both came over to work in somewhat dodgy ways. Yeah. Um, but yeah so all of them issues with am I Irish am I Ghanaian how does that mix work 
And then the fact that I've been born and raised in England, I'm like, okay, so how does that fit into my identity? And I went to a Church of England primary school, which was like 90, 95% white Christian. So I think the whole way through secondary school, primary school even, subconsciously in my head, because that's all I saw around me and all I interacted with, in my head, I was one of them. Yeah. So who was raising you like at home? Who was who was your like your main parent? Um, main parent at home was my mum. My parents got divorced when I was four or five. And your mum is where's your mum from? Uh, mum's Irish. Okay, so you, you at home you you had an Irish mum, and then at school you were with English kids most of the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So in my head, like everyone around me is white, so I'm like, I must be white English then. So yeah. Whenever, like, even it would be like little things as well. So, like, if I was to get a football shirt, I would have got an England one. If mm-hmm. I was going to create a character on a game, I'd make him English. So, yeah. in my head, like, because that's what I saw around me and what I interacted with, I think I sort of absorbed that um, identity. And then to go to the secondary school I went to was the complete opposite really culturally diverse um and then i was like hang on a minute you mean i'm not white english i'm mixed race there are other nationalities <laughs> and it like really opened my eyes up to like how big the world is yeah because where i'd grown up in that really small bubble i was all of a sudden like wow and then there were like poems in English that I really connected with. Um, there was one, there was two. One was about a, oh, I can't remember, and I'm going to pronounce this horribly. Um, shower kameez or something like that. Shower kameez, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think I know called, which one you're talking about. Yeah. Go ahead, read, the, yeah. Um, and it was about her struggling to identify with this whole British Asian thing. Cause she's like, am I more British? Am I more Asian? And then at the end of the poem, she was like, I'm a combination of the two. Yeah. I am my own unique thing. And then there was the other poem was um, half cast, which was an expression I myself had used a lot of times, not even thought about the connotations and meanings behind it. Yeah, and he was sort of really going on about his how offensive it is, and he's like, "I'm not half anything. I'm a whole person." And I think multiracial people really go through this struggle where they it's hard to work out how your nationalities all tie together to create you as an individual. Yeah. Half caste really does sort of paint a, a picture of fifty percent one thing and fifty percent another. Yeah, and that's not the best way of seeing it because you're not like you're saying you're a whole person. You're a whole, you're British Ghanaian. You know that's what. Or how how do you, how do you, how do you say it? What do you say you are? Oh, see, uh, that's the thing. Right now, I think. Um... I've always, recently I said um, Ghanaian Irish raised in England is how I go with it now. 
yeah. then when I think about it, because your mind automatically thinks, okay, so how much am I of this thing? How much am I of that thing? <laughs> and I think um, predominantly I see myself now as more Irish than anything, just where genetic makeup and been raised by just my Irish mother. I feel like I probably got a lot more of those characteristics and personalities than the others. But honestly, it's all jumbled together to create me and I'm okay with that now. Yeah. There's no need to even have a have a, na- a label on it, really. Yeah. Until you get to doing forms and you're like, oh, what box do I need to tick? <laughs> Yeah, that is a good point. I don't know why. A lot of forms ask you, but I don't know why they ask you. Yeah, they ask you and then they say it doesn't affect anything. It's just for equality something. And I'm like, but if it doesn't matter, then should it really be here? Yeah, yeah, that's that's the big question, isn't it? Yeah, it's there for them to check their, their statistics and stuff. But yeah, if it truly doesn't matter, then it shouldn't need to. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about your, so like you said, you grew up in primary school and you, you thought of yourself as Irish. When you went to secondary school and you saw all these different races, was there a point when you, you realized, you know, you, you, you have another, another sort of side to your background or a, mi- a mixed side to your background? Um, I think for Did a lot you of that- anyone, sorry. Uh, did you did you encounter anyone sort of Ghanaian or anything like that? Um, there was no Ghanaians in my school. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think um, it was weird because when I suddenly came to the realisation that I was mixed race, I was like, and I don't really, there wasn't a lot of mixed race people in my school. I sort of felt too black to be with the white people and too white to be with the black people. And then it just, created a whole new issue because I was like okay so what's my niche what is my group of people that I can relate to and hang out with yeah um and then somewhat ironically I managed to throughout secondary school my core group of friends there was me a Lithuanian a Tamil and then a Indian, I think he was. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, so where I'd struggle to identify, and I thought, okay, the people that are the same race as me must be the most similar to me. They must be the people that I'll get on with. In the end, it ended up being the complete opposite. And us four were really close throughout secondary school, and we're all completely different nationalities with completely different stories. Yeah, but I, I I hear like that that thing again. I hear that is I hear that a lot as well, and that's common. And I don't know, maybe it's because you were all sort of felt like you didn't fit in, and you sort of bonded over that or something. Possibly, I never looked at it that way. Because I think because it's heard... this. Sorry, yeah, go on. It's this really horrible instinctive human nature where you automatically, at a certain age, you start to gravitate to people that look like you yeah and i think it's 
I just I don't know what causes it, but like young kids will just play with whoever. They don't see race, yeah. they don't see colour. But then the older you get when you get these big group settings, they all seem to like group next to people that look together as if what you look like is gonna guarantee that you get on. I guess I don't know if I had to say, I guess it's it's part of maybe survival instinct, maybe you know if you grow up with people like that you feel safer around them i agree like there's no there's not there's no logic whatsoever to it but yeah you're probably right it's all this um survival instincts and people that look the same as familiarity and people that look different is sort of fear of the unknown exactly yeah 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 yeah. but yeah like you're saying like when you when you're kids you don't you know now you're saying kids will play with any anyone they're not noticing things like that not at all. Even if they do, it's it's not. Um, it's just like oh, a kid will say to another kid, "Oh, you look, you 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 have d- different hair to me. Your hair's this color, or something like that." They won't. Yeah. There's no negative connotation behind it. There's nothing. There's nothing. I think you said you you're becoming a teacher, right? So you like kids, and I can yeah. I, I fully get why. Kids are just so amazingly pure and innocent. Yeah. Like, and I think it's really nice as well to like sort of see them grow and develop and just see the like journey that they go on. Even my last placement, it was only 16 weeks. But That's the difference. Yeah. Um, the difference between them the first day and the last day was unbelievable. They'd come so far already. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how was the last day? Was it quite emotional? Ah, uh, um, I did that thing that people with um, emotional issues do best, and I just completely shut all emotions off. <laughs> that really, really unhealthy coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't hit me for. I think it was the Monday it hit me when I didn't have to get up to go to school to see them, and I was sort of like, oh. It's actually over. And then I had my little cry. What what is that what do you mean? Like how did how does how does your body react to like sad things? Do you not react immediately? Um I think a lot of it depends on the situation. I think where for whatever reason I grew up with the cliched um toxic masculinity of showing emotions is weak. I can't show emotions. I think a lot of the time I just bottle things inside and I just, I sort of reject the emotion. I'm like, I don't feel that way. I don't feel anything towards it until obviously so, some time passes or something small triggers it. And then all of the emotions and stuff that I've kept in just overflows and explodes. So how long, how long have you sort of felt like you can't express your emotions has this been since you were a child um definitely been from teenage years um don't really remember much from my childhood but i'd imagine quite similar then as well yeah what do you think actually led led to it as you were saying about uh like the phrase toxic masculinity and um, I think it's just, you sort of, especially then, not so much now, 
um, the whole real men don't cry, real men get on with their stuff. Um, crying and caring was seen as feminine. Um, and just where you sort of grow up with these ideas. And even, I think, when you're a child, we're going to be really, really cliched here. So, sorry. If this yeah, that's all um, right. Girls grow up watching Disney movies, um, thinking they're princesses and a prince is going to save them. And in the same way, that's toxic because it teaches girls they need a man to save them. Superhero films teach boys that they're invincible. A lot of the time they don't need anyone. And when you think about it, how often do you ever see a superhero show any emotion whatsoever? Yeah, I mean, pretty cliche, but you have a very good point. And I mean, where that's what you watch so much at a young age, those sort of ideologies get into your head and you're like, okay, this is what an adult is like. This is what I should aspire to be like. Yeah, this is this is the image of a woman, a full-grown woman. This is the full-grown man. This is, yeah. Yeah. And that's what creates so many issues. I said women feeling like they need a man to save them, men feeling hero complexes, feeling like um you can't really show emotions because that's not really something that a lot of heroes do the only emotion that a superhero ever tends to show is anger towards a villain um being worried when people's lives at risk and then loving his damsel in distress and that's (laughs) that's all the emotions that we do nothing that's crazy you you've you've taken this whole subject and you've simplified it so well into like a little Disney film (laughs) (laughs) like if when you think about it like that it actually does I don't blame we're not blaming Disney are we we're just not at all yeah yeah but yeah like you're saying it's 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 one big idea and obviously that's what everyone sees it as and the films are obviously going to be portrayed like that if everyone's already seeing that yeah I think a lot of it is um kind of like what we briefly talked about with addictions and stuff I think if you're just watching stuff like that every now and then it's okay but when you start to repeatedly watch the same things over and over and over again then you've got to be careful because that can like really get stuck in your subconscious yeah it's, it's, it's especially difficult for kids because you know their parents are playing that yeah and then you end mm. up picking up weird stuff from TV shows as well. So something I watched a lot when I was younger was um, the animated Spider-Man series. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I didn't even realise until I watched it back a year or two ago and I was like, why have I based a lot of my personality off a TV character? (laughs) 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 It's just like silly things, like phrases or like, the really cheesy one-line punchlines and I was like this is this is honestly where <laughs> child me was like that guy is cool I want to be like him <laughs> uh, <laughs> no that, that's literally no I completely agree man that's my 
But I'm sure a lot of people would do it. They could go to their childhood favourite character and guarantee they'd be able to find at least two or three personality characteristics that they copy because that was I, idea. I could cool. name I could name you five characters right now on the spot who I copied. <laughs> exactly. Like I said, it's crazy. You just you gotta really be careful with what you're getting into your mind and what you're watching and stuff. Yeah, but at the same time, um like you know some some of the things for me personally that I watched when I was a kid it, some of some of it gave me kind of role models they they did good things for me sometimes yeah now like I said it, it's all about a moderation thing for me mm, yeah I, I think even now as adults if you watch too much of the same thing or you surround yourself it's like they say what is this special you are the combination of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. I think it's stuff like that. And the more you interact with something, the more you're going to take on different parts of it. Yeah, it's, it's natural. It's natural to, to take bits of other things and make them you. Yeah. Which, so yeah, like you're, like you're saying, you really have to watch out, you know, what you're watching. Yeah. And it's like, just to go completely off tangent with this, but like if you're ever yeah. sort of unhappy in your life and you're like, I don't feel good. I don't like where I'm going with my life. As hard as it is, sometimes you've got to look at the people around you and be like, what are the people around me like doing? How did they act? What are they doing with their life? And a lot of the time when you're, having issues with your life, it's because that's the kind of people you surrounded yourself with and you kind of get stuck in whatever bubble of life they're with. If you're with people that love sports, odds are you're going to love sports and play a lot of sports. If you're with gamer people, you're going to spend a lot of time playing games. If you're with people that are really determined to grow and get emotionally intelligent and really succeed in life, then as a byproduct, you'll succeed in life. Yeah. Have you have you had experience with this? Like, have you been in a sort of group that wasn't good for you? Um, I think the first one. I think sports teams sometimes can be quite bad, especially yeah. what I found university sports teams can be quite an environment like competitive or um i think um just like again not having a massive go at tv and stuff but um it becomes sort of the highlight of their life yeah like the best thing that ever happened to them to them was they played university sport just like in so many TV shows and movies, the highlight of these people's lives is college and stuff. And what got really scary to me was while I was at university, and this is multiple sports teams at multiple universities, it's not just a one particular place thing. Some people would purposely fail one or two modules to retake the year just to play on the sports team for another year. Mad. And... Like the first time I heard that, I was like, "That's that guy is committed. 
<laughs> and then the more yeah. I started to hear it on different teams in different universities, I was like, people just, there's so much more to life. So that is, that is like that is like America because I know in, I think in America they stay in college for like five six years they don't they don't just stay for like the year they stay and play uh, American football or basketball for extra years yeah I didn't I didn't actually know it was a thing in England too like I never oh. played any at university so I stopped in school yeah it's, it's a thing in university as well so they were staying like an extra few years just to yeah. Yeah, or they'll go on to do um, part-time masters. Is another one. And how how was that sort of affecting you? Um, I think it just sort of made me realize how easy it is to get stuck, and how um, so sort of. I think a lot of the reason they did it was the um, safety of it, the familiarity of it. And then I think yeah. a lot of it as well was insecurities and external validation. Yeah. Because obviously the more time you play a sport, the better you're going to be. And if you're on year four or five of university, you're going to be better than the new kids that just come. And that in turn is going to make you feel good about yourself because you're like, oh, I'm so much better than you. And then obviously yeah. coaches are going to love you because they don't really need to teach you a lot because you've learned it all already. I mean, a lot of it is the ego and fear of the unknown thing. So I guess it's, you know, like you're saying, it's their comfort zone. They're comfortable. They're happy. They feel loved within their sports teams. I completely yeah. get all of that, to be honest. It, it, it makes sense to feel like that. Definitely. But in this flat, you get trapped. But I think external validation in general is a very dangerous thing that you've got to be careful with. Why? Why do you think? Why do you think that some people love external validation? Ah, oh, everyone loves external validation. <laughs> yeah, not yeah. There's nothing nicer than someone telling you that they think you're attractive or they think you've done a good job. Um, yeah. But I think the problem is that's definitely a bad addiction. Because um, I think a lot of the time, people that crave external validation the most are those that aren't happy in themselves. So, like through secondary school, I was not happy. Um, but hearing people think of me as the golden child and stuff like that, that made me feel good. I was like, okay, they think I'm good, they think I'm smart, therefore, I am good and I am smart. Yeah, so it gets really addictive because it feels that insecurity in that hole inside of yourself you're like i feel down let me do something or act in a way that will get someone to externally validate me and then they'll do that you'll momentarily feel good that feeling will then go and you end up chasing it again and again and again you become reliant on it to sort of be able to do anything exactly and i think that played a big part in my massive um decline of mental health the moment i stopped getting it and where I didn't really like myself, I was like, oh, they, and especially with like the comments that I said about them saying that I'm competing against people nationally, the guy at the college, stuff like that, because I got so addicted to external validation. And in doing that, 
what you're also doing subconsciously is your worth and your value is completely based off other people's opinions. So the moment people start giving me bad opinions, I was like, oh, I'm stupid. I'm not very good. I can't do this. I can't do that. And I had no sort of self-esteem or anything. So I was very much taken on their opinions and where the opinions had suddenly gone negative. I was like, everything they say is true. And all, all, all the validation you received in secondary school is gone. Like you don't even believe it anymore. Yeah. It's just gone out the window. Cause it's literally, it's, it's all about the last thing that anyone says to you is the truth for you at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the craving for external validations can just lead to so many different addictions and negative behaviors because a lot of the time you can end up doing things that you don't believe in and you don't agree with purely for the praise it will get you. Things like smoking, I think any sort of addiction, but you know, um, even things like smoking can be linked back to uh, receiving external validation because, you know, smoking is like a social habit. Uh, You want to be around people, you want to be able to, you know, yeah, especially definitely. especially if you start smoking as a young kid, you want to, you know, be one of the cool kids. It's, yeah. And then you, now you're addicted to smoking. So same goes for other stuff like um, graffiti was a big one at my school. A lot of people did that for praise and love. Um, class clowns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as much as I hate the term, people that are seen as players. Yeah, 100%. However you want to call the female version. A lot of that is just insecure people that are just look, craving that external validation. This is, this, see, this is something that I wanted to ask your opinion on. So, like you're saying, you know, the, 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 men, who, the men or women who are referred to as players, the men and women who are... Um, promiscuous I think is the word yeah they tend to be referred as they like people see them very negatively yeah but like people like sort of I'll only speak for myself I sort of understand where they're coming from because you know the need for validation can make you do things it can make you so addicted to that validation that you know you're out every yeah. night doing whatnot. Definitely. Like I said, I think to, for me personally, I think a lot of it comes from insecurities. Yeah. And where, or, or even maybe trauma, who knows? But I think a lot of it is just them wanting that quick fix rather than really reflecting and working on themselves because reflecting and working on yourselves is, is hard to do. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really is. But I guess if you look at where chasing self-validation can possibly get you in terms of all of those bad, it's a bad addiction and all of those bad addictions. Like you, as someone who's sort of working on himself now, would you say that the work is worth it? Um, 
I'd say the work is definitely worth it. I think I still have my bad days. I still struggle. Um, I'm far from perfect, but I'm working on it. But I think I'm a lot more, I wouldn't say I've quite got to happy yet, but I'm getting a lot more content. So if I go a whole day and no one praises me, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, anything that I want someone to say to me, deep down, that's because I want to believe it. So I can just say it to myself. That's, I, I love that. That is I a really good way of looking at it. But I was like, anything, any external validation or anything you want from anyone else, you can give to yourself. And I was like, huh, that's kind of true. Yeah. So if ever I feel like I'm not very attractive, I can just say, you're an attractive guy. That is, that's genius. Feel, honestly. So I started doing that and I think it really helps. It feels weird. It feels so weird. But then I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. how sad is it that me being nice to myself feels weird? Again, another another amazing point. Like, you're, you're, doing a, you're doing a great job right now. <laughs> It's so easy to be mean to yourself and to have horrible self-talk. But the moment you like start to be nice to yourself, it feels weird. And I think part of that possibly comes down to people thinking that others like that are arrogant. Yeah, of course, yeah. Mm. But that then, to me, a lot of the time, arrogant people are not arrogant. I was seen as very arrogant, very big-headed my whole way through secondary school. And that couldn't have been any further from the truth. Every time I was making these outlandish, seemingly arrogant comments, it was just me desperately trying to build myself up because I didn't believe even half of what I was saying. So in school, you were quite, like, you were quite out there? Um... I'd say I was the quiet, arrogant type. Okay. So you just pop out with a quick statement. Exactly. <laughs> just that yeah, one line. And that's you, that's you, me done. That's, that's you done for the day. To the three-hour conversation. <laughs> um, no, but you have a point there. I think a lot of times, not every time, some people are genuinely quite confident in themselves and, you know, make statements. But yeah. Uh, people who are looking for attention and you can see most of the time you can see when someone you know wants some attention um they're usually quite insecure people yeah i think the more i'm sort of getting aware and understanding of things the more i'm like sort of seeing where i'm starting to understand and see patterns in myself i'm starting to recognize that in other people so i'm like okay he's not being arrogant or acting stupid just because he believes he's the greatest thing ever. He needs that praise because either he's insecure or he didn't get it as a child. Or like yeah. there's a reason for why people do things the way that they do. And it makes you, like you're saying, and it makes you more empathetic and it makes you able to forgive people more and it makes you happier, man. Definitely. Because I think deep down, all anyone wants is to be understood, validated and feel loved. Especially coming from you as a teacher, I think that's like, as a future teacher, I think that's like amazing that 
um, you can sort of look past. Like, I don't know, let's say you've got a kid acting up in your class and, you know, he's doing this and that. What are you thinking in your head? So I can give you an example for this. Go on. Um, so we had this one boy and he started sort of not making great choices, um, not really doing the work to his best of his ability, has started to drop off a bit. Um, and it turned out that his parents had recently broken up and he wasn't seeing a lot of his dad. Okay. Which really hurt me because like, I was like, I 110% empathise with this, but if I yeah. start trying to talk to you about it, then we're going to both be crying and that's not good for anyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so instead of doing that cliched easy thing of just shouting and getting angry because he wasn't doing work or behaving the way that he used to, I was like, okay, this is a very drastic change in behavior. There's a reason for this. He didn't just wake up one day and decide, I want to start being a monkey at school. Like something's yeah. triggered this. Yeah. No, yeah. There must, there's always a reason. Like you're saying, there's always, and if there's a reason, it's good because you can, you can work on it. You can help him. Exactly. And I think like, the word you use there, reason, I think that's a really important word to focus on. Mm. I think a lot of the time we can try and make excuses for things. And yeah. we can be like, um, I've behaved badly, I've done this terrible thing, but this is the excuse for why I didn't. It's like, it's not an excuse. You can't use that to justify it. It may be the reason you did it, but you always have a choice on how you act on the triggers. Yeah. So how do you mean in terms of um, like the example with children? So like, yeah. So like for this example, yeah. obviously he's a five-year-old child, so he's not going to be able to articulate or put it the way I'm going to put it for him. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, he could be, he could say, it's not my fault. I'm behaving like this. My dad, and mum have recently broken up and I don't see him a lot of the time. Because they've broken up, I'm acting out. It's not my fault. It's a good impression. Thank you. <laughs> and I think up until recently, that's the exact approach I would have taken. I'd have been like, it's not my fault that I'm doing this and behaving wrong. This is why I'm behaving like this. I have nothing to do with it. It's not my fault. If they didn't get divorced, then I wouldn't be doing this. But they did, so now I have to do this. And I mean, it's yeah. very easy to get trapped in the habit of making excuses. When instead, like I said, the word reason, if he was using it as a reason, he'd be like, I'm sorry that I've not been acting correctly. My parents have recently broken up. It's really affecting me. I'm going to try and deal with it in healthier ways. Okay, okay, okay. I complete. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely understand. Yeah. So you're saying, so you're saying there is a reason, but you know, still, people still have to take accountability of you know their actions. Exactly. Another key uh, word: accountability. Accountability yeah, yeah, yeah. is something. Until this year, me and that word did not get on. <laughs> it was not well, my fault. It was never my fault. There was always an excuse behind any bad thing I ever did in my life. It was never. I was. I was just a victim of life. <laughs> yeah. 
Why did that change what? then? What what changed? What changed? Um, mm. A breakup, unfortunately. Um, my fiance of the time, we'd been engaged for a year and a half together for nine years in total. Um, finally saw the light left me. Um, which has completely broken me. Still hurts to talk about. But at the same time, I think that's the best thing she's ever done for me. Which sounds weird to say. But yeah. her doing that, and I won't lie, I've done that whole reaching out, trying to contact her. As recently yeah. as last week, I sent her a Facebook request. I'm now blocked on everything because of who I was before. But at the same time, I'm happy that I can say because of who I was before. Because of her doing that, I was it made me take a step back and I was like, okay, I've done something to cause her to feel this way after nine years. Let me look and reflect on my actions and what I've done. So then I looked at everything I've done and I was like, okay, why have I done this? And I personally, I couldn't work out why I did a lot of the things I did. I had theories for some of them, but I wasn't really sure. So I was like, okay, I need more help. I can't do this by myself. Um, got into mental health and breakup and awareness TikTok. There's a lot of really great people in there. Um, and TikTok. Yeah. TikTok is so out. much more than just dancing. I didn't know that until this year, but <laughs> there's a lot of really good content out there. And um, yeah, I decided to get go therapy. Yeah. And therapies made me understand a lot of how things in the past have caused me to act or think or feel the way I do, but not in a way of making excuses, but reasons. Like I said, it's really important that you make sure that you're treating things as reasons, not excuses. And so um, let me try and think of an example. So like, sorry, just to interrupt. So like, like you're saying reasons is important. And the, the, for people who might be listening and don't understand what the difference is between reasons and excuses, excuses is in, it's in the word. It's excusing your actions. Yeah. Um, reasons is like we were saying earlier about taking accountability of what you've done and sort of working to improve it so it doesn't happen again. Exactly. Yeah, but sorry, go on. What were you saying? Let me just about, think uh, of an yeah, example or something in my life. There we go. We'll use, we'll, we'll stick with the external validation theme. Yeah. So where I was a really insecure person and I didn't really like, never mind, love myself and I felt a hole inside me and all that stuff. That caused me my entire life to crave external validation. And the way I always found it easiest to get would be through flirting with other people. Yeah. So that just made me constantly chase the approval of other people. And I'm not proud to admit it. That's a part of what led to me cheating before as well. Because my mentality during the relationship got to such a toxic stage at one point, and I kid you not, 
neither my go- my girlfriend slash fiance or mum could compliment me. Because if my mum said anything, I'd be like, mother's opinion, she has to say that. It doesn't mean anything. If my partner said anything good, I'd be like, you have to say that you love me. So okay. I've yeah. now made it excuses for why I can't accept their compliments. So they could say anything really nice to me and I'd be like, but you have to say that, you don't mean it. So it got to the stage where I was then rejecting external validation. And because I couldn't accept it off them, because in my head I was making excuses for why it's not true, I then felt the need to give it to other people. Sorry, because, sorry, the mic, the mic went. Could you repeat that last sentence? Oh, so um, yeah. So um, it got to the stage where I wouldn't accept external validation from my mum or my partner because yeah. my mum had to say nice things to me because she was my mum, and my partner had to say nice things because she was my partner, and, and because both of them loved me, they had to say nice things that they didn't mean. So it got to a stage where I was craving external validations because I didn't like myself, but I then made excuses for why I can't accept it from the two people that would give it to me the most. So I then looked for other women to give me the same external validation that I couldn't accept from others. And I think, obviously there's a lot more that goes into it, but I just think it's really bad that because I didn't look up myself and think why I'm not happy and stuff. And then I needed external validation. But then I went one further by excluding external validation from other people because I'm guessing they gave me too much and I was like, they can't mean this. And then it just led to me looking for it elsewhere, which is a terrible thing to do and something I regret deeply, especially the more I look on it and the more instances of me talking to other girls i think of but it's a lot of excuses versus reasons again up until recently i was like it's not my fault that i cheat it's it's not my fault that i was messaging whoever i felt depressed and i needed an ego boost it's not my fault it's the depression if you want to be mad at me cheating be mad at me having depression which is just ridiculous because as much as that may have been a part of it i still at the end of the day made the choice to have those conversations and to do those actions yeah but taking accountability is hard to do i guess it's it's easier not to yeah it's so much easier just to blame everything around you rather than look in the mirror and be like I messed up. And also, I think the hardest thing with accountability is the change that has to come afterwards. Because if you are saying that you're sorry and you're taking accountability, unless you change, you've not taken accountability and you're not sorry. Yeah. Unless you're trying to change. Unless you've actually made a genuine effort to, to make a change. Yeah, but that, then you get into the hard thing of what, what do you count as a genuine effort? <laughs> yeah, fair point. Because <laughs> a lot of the time I thought I made genuine efforts. Um, apart from that, I, 
I think in my heart, I made genuine efforts, but my issue was as much as I'd try to change and as much as I loved it and I really wanted to change, I didn't understand myself. I had no idea why I was doing what I was doing. Yeah. I'd be saying that it was because I felt insecure and because I needed the ego boost. But then that was as far as I'd get. I wouldn't be like, okay, why do I feel insecure? How can I stop myself from feeling insecure? How can I find validation in other ways? And I think having the effort is one thing, but you need to actively understand the like motives and the patterns that's causing the behaviors. But did, did you have the tools to understand the, the patterns that were causing stuff like that? Not at all. But that this is what I'm saying is that, could you use that as a reason or is that, is that a, an excuse you could use? Like I don't have the tools to work on myself. Um, well, that, that's a gray area one for me, I think. Um, Cause although I didn't have the tools, the way I got the tools now is from looking for them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when I look back, I'm like, why didn't I look for them then? I guess a lot yeah. of it is, again, the toxic masculinity, not wanting to reach out for help, not wanting to admit I have a problem. I mean, the furthest, you know, the furthest excuse I, I can offer someone is, you know, it's difficult for you to do it. And especially as a man, it's it's difficult to reach out. Yeah. Um, but I think other than that, you know, take full accountability, like you're saying, man, and well done for doing it. Thank you. Like I said, it's it's been a long road to get here, but I'm still young. I've got a lot of life left in me. Do you know what the things are? The things are saying to me is it's literally. I've heard I've heard so many similar stories. So. I don't know, it might be of some comfort of you to hear that, you know, there are people with similar things going on, similar sort of a past with a similar need for validation or still need that validation now. Um, yeah, I think that's something that I'm finding is really nice is like the mental health community online is so open, so caring, so sharing. Because mm. a lot of the time when you have mental health issues, you feel alone. You feel like no one understands you. No one's going through the same things. It's really an isolating feeling. But recently I'm starting to see it's not just me. It's a very big world. There's other people out there that are going through very similar things that understand. Yeah. And I think humans are pretty similar all around. So we, we all go through, you know, well, maybe not humans, but um, cultures like in England, you know, most men will go through the same sort of similar things at least. Yeah. But like I said, it, I think a lot of it is about just the more people talk about it, the more they'll help to end the stigma and the more they'll help to encourage other people. Yeah. 
And I'm genuinely really excited about um, the primary school thing you were telling me, man. Honestly, it, w- it was such a beautiful thing to watch them all do it and try and interact with it. And like, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it develops and what it looks like in other year groups. Because obviously, year one children are five, six years old. There's very little about life they generally understand. So I'm curious as to how the older children sort of interact with it and take it on board. Were they telling, I don't know how much the year ones will understand, but were they telling them why they, they were learning about? Was there like learning objectives and um yeah so so for example one lesson yeah we were in the room they had to go to one side if they agreed one side if they disagreed and then it'd be statements like the very controversial i like pineapple and pizza (laughs) so then the class would split and go to what they like and it'd be like um i have a brother and then they'd split so just saying loads of different things and they split whether it was true for them or false and then at the end of it we'd be like okay so in that we all went to different sides we didn't always all agree on things but are we still able to be friends and they were like yeah, yeah. And it's like, exactly. So just because we've got different interests and likes doesn't mean that we can't be friends. We can still be friends with people that are different to us. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Honestly, it's such a beautiful message. And the fact that we're now teaching that to kids hopefully will prevent a lot of issues of bullying, mental health issues. Because I think preventing things is a lot easier and more efficient than trying to cure them. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Just having the framework to be able to deal with, um, to be able to, to, to support children's needs, um, to, to support bullies. Cause you know, you know, they say bullies are, are usually insecure about themselves, you know, to be able to support them and to be able to support the people who they bully and everyone in the school. Yeah, it's like they say about the whole um, chain of abuse and a lot of the time it's just people passing on what they've been taught. And I think the same goes for families and sort of generational trauma and stuff where it's just what you grew up with to you that's normal and everyone else is the weirdo. And then it takes a lot of real hard work and determination to be like, this is not okay. I'm going to change this. Yeah. Otherwise, otherwise it just gets passed on to your kids and, you know, another generation. Exactly. It's like the saying, um, be the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. 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 Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Because I think I think we've got quite a lot, and um, it's gonna be it's gonna take me a long time to to edit this and stuff like that. <laughs> um, one second, let me check. This, think if there's if, anything else. If Jonathan, if anything, we we can do another one. Like I'd I'd be happy to I'd be more than happy to speak to you again, man. Um, yeah, we can leave that for now then, and then maybe do 
another one later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, honestly, thank you so much for this. Uh, you, you were really great, honestly. Um, I enjoyed myself speaking to you and I enjoyed the conversation. I've enjoyed it too. Hopefully someone might learn something, but I, I genuinely, I think someone, I definitely think someone will, man. There's a lot to learn from it. Even if not learn it, just be able Take to it. relate and feel yeah. normal. As yeah, it were. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 100%, 100%. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you, man.